0: We have to recognize that God doesn't always move the same way. And we can't always do the same thing. And he'll show up when he chooses, as he chooses, how he chooses. So the difference is how receptive are we to what he's doing. And so tonight, kind of goes hand in hand. Rachel and I are going to do something a little different. Full disclosure up front, I have told you on multiple occasions for the health of Of our marriage that she and I do not compare sermon notes I don't tell her what to preach she doesn't tell me what to preach we keep them very very separated and it just it makes for a happier marriage for the two of us having said that tonight is one of those rare occasions where we were both scheduled a night and she looked at me and said do you want to do something together and I said okay so we actually did talk this time And uh, we did discuss this, and we are both preaching the same message. I'm going to open it. She's going to end it. But then even in doing so, she asked me earlier today, she said, do you want to see what I wrote? And I said, no, don't show me. Don't tell me. So so we have coordinated a few key ideas, but I still don't know exactly where she's going, and it's just better that way because sometimes... (laughs) You all look at me, my children look at, although my children don't anymore, they know better. They're like, did you know mama? No, I don't, don't ask. I don't know where this is going, but it'll be good. So tonight, I'm gonna open with some scripture passages. And we're gonna look in Romans chapter 12, verses four and five. And it says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of, Of one body and we all belong to each other so many parts one body and we don't expect all of the parts to be the same we don't expect all of the parts to look the same we don't expect them to act the same to sound the same when it comes to the human body and we all nod our heads and of course we're not comprised of just a hand or just an ear or a nose we've got lots of different body parts and we say this at least mentally, and we proclaim this, that within the church body, we're all different. But then when it comes to practice, there are expectations on how we are expected to do things. And so we're going to take a little bit of time tonight, and we want to pose this question to our church body. How should your voice be heard? How should your voice be heard And I will tell you that we are very enculturated. And what do I mean by that? If you were with us in our big group learning in August and you've been attending our small group lessons, you know that we've been talking about how culture impacts the way that we read Scripture. And in our small group settings, we've been talking about learning as we are becoming mature disciples in Christ to recognize the difference between what is biblical and what is cultural. And if you haven't picked it up in the small group lessons, culture is not bad. We're not anti-culture. You can't get away from culture. But as we mature in Christ, we have to learn to recognize this is something we do here. It's a cultural thing, and this is what's biblical. And they don't have to... Sometimes they are in conflict. Many times they don't have to be in conflict. You just have to recognize what's cultural and what's biblical. And tonight... It's our leadership turbans, and we're talking to people, and we're assuming that you are here because you love Jesus, you want to be a disciple of Christ, and you also recognize that he calls us into servantship. He calls us into working for his kingdom. But it doesn't look the same for everybody. And even more specifically, it doesn't sound the same for everybody. And I wish this is a lesson that I had learned much, much earlier in my life. And it has taken me years to come to grips with this. And I'll unpack this a little bit more as I talk for the next few minutes. We do not, my dear brothers and sisters, all sound the same. And that's a good thing. And we should not all sound the same. And it's very easy to proclaim this and it's very easy to nod your head and say yes, but how many of us, if we are being honest, have ever been unctioned or impressed by the Spirit of God to do something, to go speak to someone, to pray for someone, to go perform a certain action, and the Spirit is moving on us to minister to someone in some way, and it has nothing to do with being up here in front of a pulpit, but God is dealing with you to do something. And your very human broken reaction is to say, I can't do that, God. I'm not fill in the blank. And in your mind, you think of someone else and you associate whatever God has asked you to do with a certain person or a certain type of personality or a certain ministry. Anybody ever feel like that, if we're being honest? We do. We struggle with this as humans. And so God asks us to do something, and our response is, I can't do that because I'm not so-and-so. And in our mind, whoever that person is, to us that typifies or represents that kind of ministry. You know, someone who's powerfully used in prayer, someone who's a great preacher, someone who's a great teacher, someone who's a powerful witness, somebody who's really, really friendly and good at talking to strangers. And so we say, I'm not fill in the blank. And so what we've just done is we've said, I'm not that part of the body or I don't look like fill in the blank. My voice can't be heard that way because I'm not so-and-so. And this very, 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 very strong pull culturally that is extremely hard to get away from because the longer we're in church and the longer we're around church people, we get patterns and we get things that we expect to happen when we come together. And this is what a worship service looks like. Tonight's a great example of disrupting that. We've got a certain pattern to the way that we sing our songs and if we do something different, it messes with everything and it doesn't feel right. Because it's not the way we do things, right? And when it comes to ministry, there's a certain way that a preacher is supposed to sound. When it comes to teaching, there's a certain way that a Bible teacher is supposed to sound. When it comes to prayer, you know, and going and praying for somebody, there's a certain feel to it, right? There's a certain way that it's supposed to look and sound, We nod our head because if we're being honest with ourselves, we know these things. And up here we think, okay, that can't entirely be right. But our actions and our culture and everything else in our environment around us tells us this is the way this is supposed to be. And then God unctions you, and the Spirit begins to prod on your heart, and he's dealing with you to go talk to someone or go do this certain action. And you're thinking, I can't do that, God, because I'm not... And you've got this pattern in your head of what it's supposed to be like and what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to sound, how it's supposed to be performed or carried out. And we have to fight that impulse. And as we grow in Christ and as we become mature disciples of Jesus, we have to recognize that when he calls and asks us, when he unctions us to do something, he's asking us to do it because he wants us to do it. Not someone else. When he asks you to do it, it's because he really wants you to do it and get this this is the part we have to fight with he wants you to do it as you i know this is just i'm blowing your mind right now this is deep 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 theological stuff isn't it when we look at scripture we see a variety of different personality types and styles and delivery, if you will. We have to read a little bit between the lines of the way that Scripture looks at. So I want to look at a few examples from Scripture, and then I'm going to bring it forward to the present. And so I don't have, there would be too many. I don't have Scriptures to show up on the slide, so you're just going to have to follow along with me. I'll give you some general Scripture references. If you want to read more, you can look it up later. When I think of the Old Testament and when I think of prophetic ministry, When I think of, you know, the man of God and this voice of God coming through human agency, there are a few figures that really, really stand out to all of us. Probably most of us would think of someone like Moses. And then probably behind Moses, as far as prophetic ministry, the next greatest, I would imagine for many of us, is probably Elijah. And then maybe following on the heels of Elijah, Elisha. And what's interesting is when you look at these Old Testament examples, They're not the same. And yet, a quick reading, we kind of flatten them, and we've got this image of, like, this is what the prophet is. But go back and do a slow reading. They didn't look anything like each other. They didn't act like each other. They didn't have the same kind of ministries. They didn't carry out what God had asked them to do in the same way. And yet, we kind of conflate them. In other words, we mix them all together. And we've got this image in our mind of, like, this is what a prophet is, or this is what the person of God sounds like, and it's not real, but we do it. If you had to describe Elijah in one word, if you mentally had to think, what do I associate Elijah with? What kind of words come to mind? You can go ahead and respond. Fire, powerful, right? And that's probably what most of us would think. If I had to describe Elijah in one word, the first word that would come to mind is fire. Fire. And why do we do that? Because of the way his ministry unfolded. It's interesting, narratively speaking, if you go back and read it later, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 17, and this new character shows up in the story, and his name is Elijah, and he literally just shows up. There's no introduction to him. There's nothing really about his family. There's no calling from God. Scene opens, and here is Elijah the prophet, and he walks in to rebuke a king. This is his intro, right? Entrance stage right. He walks onto the stage of the story, and his first action is to rebuke a wicked king. And he says, It's not going to rain until I say so. And then he turns around and storms off. What is that? And it's this powerful, fiery intro. And then his ministry goes forth, and you see him, and he's kind of up and down. He's a bit of an emotional roller coaster, honestly, if you do a slow reading. And he's got that fiery temperament and it's all together or it's really low and it's all together or I'm the only one left who loves God. And, you know, and he kind of swings. And we see this almost bipolarness to Elijah and God works with it and God uses it just like that. Probably the most famous example is from 1 Kings chapter 18. You can go back and read it later. And we have what I call the Mount Carmel meltdown, right? He shows up, and you've got him versus 450 prophets of Baal. And they're going to have this showdown. And, of course, you all know the story. I'm not going to unpack it tonight. When it's Elijah's turn to take the stage again, he says a simple prayer. And what happens fire comes down from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice. And it's not just the sacrifice, though. It says it consumes the stones and the earth he made the altar with and it consumes all the water in the trench. I mean, it's a fireball that just blazes down and consumes everything. And then after this massive demonstration of God's power, keep reading. It says that he marches those 450 prophets down to the stream and then he executes them. It's this crazy story fiery personality, over-the-top, at-large, demonstrable character, and then you read just a little further. You can get to 2 Kings chapter 1. We've moved on from Ahab. Now I've got a different wicked king in Israel, and so Ahaziah is the king, and he's had an accident. It says that he fell through some latticework, so he had a fall. He's sick, He's in bed. Instead of calling on God for help, he goes to one of his pagan gods, and he sends some men out to go see what's going to happen to him. And Elijah says, nopes. And so he intercepts these messengers, and he said, you go back and tell your king because he didn't ask for God's help, he's going to die, and he's never getting off that bed again. Go on home. You don't even need to consult with your pagan gods. So they go back. They tell the king, he says, who is this man? And they didn't know. So they describe him and he says, I know who that is. That's Elijah from their description of him. So again, over the top personality. He sends 50 people to go arrest the prophet. And what does he do? (laughs) Fire from heaven consumes them. Okay, just on a side note, I would think that gets your attention, (laughs) right? King sends 50 more military men. (laughs) fire from heaven consumes them. by now i'd be really really concerned nope he sends 50 more for the third time this guy in charge is at least smart enough to say please don't kill me i have to do this i'm just i'm just doing my job bro (laughs) like don't take this personal right (laughs) i don't want to be fricasseed will you please 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 come with me I don't want to die today, and so Elijah goes on, and these are just a few examples from his ministry, and it's this incredible, fiery, powerful ministry, and then we get to his successor, and God calls his successor onto the scene, and after you've had this demonstrable, powerful ministry like this, Elisha steps onto the scene. Elijah enters. Remember what I said? He walks onto the scene. There's practically no background, and from his first Spoken words, it's this prophetic demonstration of God's power and this utterance and judgment against a wicked king, and then he walks right back out. So who's his successor? A farmer. And we meet him in a field, plowing. There's no fireworks. There's, There's nothing demonstrative and huge about the start of Elisha's ministry. And he begins to follow Elijah after saying goodbye to his family. And you can read in 2 Kings, let me check my notes, chapter 3. In 2 Kings chapter 3, we see a descriptor of Elisha. And these other kings have come together and they need a man of God. And they remember that Elisha is nearby. And notice how they describe him. The man who poured water on the hand's of of Elijah he was the servant he's the guy who washed his hands he probably held the jug while Elisha washed his hands the guy who poured water on the hands of Elijah that's how he's remembered and described and then begin to look at his ministry and if I were to think of a word that describes Elisha's ministry it would probably be water it's this drastic contrast Elijah. Elijah is a man of fire. And then we get to Elisha and we watch him do twice as many miracles as Elijah. But he's not calling down fire from heaven. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we're introduced to him. In 2 Kings chapter 3, he's described as the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Back up one chapter. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we see his first miracle. And he comes back from the Jordan after, by the way, Elijah, I forgot to mention this. When his ministry is done, how does Elijah leave? Chariot of fire. I mean, it's like fire start to finish. Then we get to Elisha, and he shows up at the Jordan River. And his first miracle is to part the waters of the Jordan River. You can read just a little bit later in 2 Kings chapter 2. Next miracle, he changes... A bitter spring waters into water that is potable in other words water that can now be used for drinking and eating and cooking and water that can be used to work in their fields and so he takes a bitter spring and God uses him to heal that spring go to 2nd Kings chapter 3 and now you've got a kingdom and they're worried about the Moabites invading and they come to Elisha for advice and he tells them to dig ditches and fill them with water and god uses that and the next morning at sunrise the sunlight is glinting off the water and it's got a red reflection and it disorients the armies of moab and god uses him to do that incredible miracle go forward just a little bit further we get to second kings chapter five now we've got the story of naaman so this military commander from another nation has come to seek healing of his leprosy from this famous prophet who, by the way, won't even meet with him and just hollers through the door and he tells him to do what? Go bathe in the waters of the Jordan. 2 Kings chapter 6, keep reading just a little bit later, and he shows up and it's a work day at the local prophet's school. And somebody's chopping with an axe and the axe breaks and the axe head falls off into the Jordan River and it sinks to the bottom and the young man is distressed because he can't afford to replace the axe and he asks Elisha for help. And so Elisha cuts down a branch, which makes no sense at all, and throws the branch on the waters of the Jordan and the axe head floats all throughout his ministry. It's like water, 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 water. By the way, credit where credit is due. I mean, I knew this already, but in a nice, succinct passage, very recently our dear elder brother Moss put together a little kind of devotional for the ministers in our district, and if you ask him nicely after church, he'd probably give you a copy of it, and it kind of summarizes some of these aspects of Elisha's ministry. So we see Elijah, and he's a man of fire. And then we see his successor, who does twice as many miracles as him, and the predominance of them is through water. Water. And I'm reading a little bit between the lines, but we kind of see this fiery temperament that goes with Elijah, powerful demonstrations of God's spirit. And then we get to Elisha, and he's healing bitter water so people can farm. He's touching a soup that went bad and made people sick. He's getting an axe head to float to the surface of the water so a young man doesn't have to repay a debt that he can't afford and so the types of miracles themselves are different they're very kind of down to earth almost folksy farming kind of miracles does that make sense he's more in touch with the people it's a gentler ministry if you'll allow me to use that word and to be fair I'm reading between the lines but I don't imagine that Elisha was the kind of man who stomped everywhere and hollered everything he said It doesn't seem to match the kind of image that we get of the way that God used him in the miraculous. Now, none of us probably have any trouble at all imagining Elijah stomping around and barking orders and yelling at people. Why is that? Because of the kind of ministry he had. They seem to match those temperaments. And so we get this drastic contrast between these two men. God was fine with it so which voice was the voice of the prophet is it the loud demonstrative one that stomps around and hollers and gets excited and when they get excited they're really really loud and they yell or is it the folksy probably a little more laid-back farmer which one is the voice of the prophet which one is the voice that God wants to work through See, when we set it up and compare it like this, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Because God uses both. Yet, if I asked you before I started talking 15 minutes ago, if you were to think in your mind, what does an Old Testament prophet sound like? We probably, most of us, have this image of what a prophet is supposed to be like. And it's probably a mix of multiple different things, and it's not real, is it? And then God calls on us to do something and it looks nothing at all like what we've got in our head that we're supposed to sound like. Oh, God, I can't do that. I'm not fill in the blank. I don't sound like so-and-so. For the sake of time, I can't keep going, but if we went through the rest of the Old Testament, you'd see a wide variety of different voices. We jump into the New Testament. I think probably a somewhat analogous example to Elijah would be the Apostle Peter. We kind of get in the Scriptures, especially in the Gospels, that he's, he's a bit short-tempered, and he tends to jump to quick conclusions, and he's always one to jump right in. And, and Peter's kind of an act-now, think-later sort of personality when we read in the Gospels, a bit of a larger-than-life personality, a type-A choleric alpha male personality, if you will. And read in Jesus' inner circle, we also read about the beloved disciple, Just listen to the way he's remembered in scripture, the beloved disciple. Does that sound like the descriptor of someone who stomps around and is loud and calls down fire from heaven? Probably not. Again, I'm reading a little between the lines, but we do know that the beloved disciple, John, was the youngest. We do know that he was probably still a late teenager, when Jesus' ministry is going on and when he walked with Jesus. And so you've got this larger-than-life demonstrative personality in Peter, and we've probably got a little bit more laid-back teenage voice of this young man, John. When we read John, I'm reading between the lines, so you got to work with me a little bit here. We read in John's own writings, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you're reading a grandpa's voice. Now it's much later in life, but it's still a bit more of a kinder tone to it. Now, he gets frustrated at times. He's going to issue correction, but even in that correction, at least for me, I still hear the voice and the tone come through that writing of probably a gentler-spoken man. Which one's the apostolic voice? What does God sound like? What does he want these men to sound like as he works through them? It's not the same. But we tend to conflate it, and in our mind we've got this idea about this is what the voice of God sounds like, and this is how my voice should be heard. And God has just asked me to do fill-in-the-blank, and I can't do that because I don't sound like so-and-so. I can't pray for those people. I can't teach that Bible study. I can't share my testimony. I can't go be an example to fill-in-the-blank. I can't be a witness of because I don't fit the whatever this box is that we've got around it. Because, you know, God always does things the exact same way every single time, right, when we look through Scripture? If there's anything our God is, he's very, very black and white and patterned. You can predict him every single time, can't you? Just like our worship service 30 minutes ago, right? But we do this. We fall into this mental trap where we make it sound like one specific thing. And if I don't fit that pattern, whatever that is, I can't do fill-in-the-blank that God has asked me to work on. And I wish, I so desperately wish I understood this message a long time ago. Some other time you go talk to these two elders who started churches, and neither one of them come from Pentecostal pedigrees or backgrounds of what you would expect a Pentecostal preacher to sound like. Can I get an amen from our elders Neither one of them started churches the way that we typically think of starting churches or what it's supposed to look like. I grew up around Pentecost. My mother was Pentecostal. And so I grew up around church services. I grew up around a certain environment, and God began to call and deal with me in my late teenage years about stepping into ministry. And I ran from it. It's another sermon for another time. I did not want it. And I knew I didn't fit it. Eventually, I submitted. I I went to Bible college, but I wrestled with it. I finished college, started working in a church, but for years, I wouldn't get licensed as a minister. And your licensure, by the way, is not what makes you a minister. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But in my own ministry, I wouldn't even bother to get the proper credentials to be called a minister. You know why? Because I didn't sound right. And this is what a Pentecostal preacher is supposed to sound like. I didn't fit that box I'm not a Pentecostal preacher I don't sound like fill in the blank I'm going to let you all in on a little secret I am not a loud man (laughs) I am an active challenge Yeah, Nick just went mind blown I am an active challenge for AV guys because they don't know how to mic me Because I don't sound like a typical Pentecostal preacher. I'm 36 years old, and it took me at least the first 12 years of my ministry to accept that fact. I've been working in churches for 16 years, if you need help with the math. So I started doing church work at age 20, and I'm 36 now. And I was in my 30s before I would accept the fact that I don't sound like this box of what a Pentecostal preacher is supposed to sound like. And God can't use me, fill in the blank way, because I don't have the right voice for it. And I can say all this with a smile tonight. There's over a decade of mental anguish and torture and self-rejection and guilt and condemnation and all kinds of other things behind this story that I can't unpack tonight because I didn't have the right voice. I don't fit the right box. To this day, I would probably tell you in a knee-jerk reaction that I don't sound like a Pentecostal preacher because it's very enculturated. And up here, I grew up around these parts, okay? I know what we is supposed to sound like, and I ain't got it. So I can't be one of us. Now, I'm as thoroughly Pentecostal and apostolic as they come. I am a spirit-filled, Jesus-name-baptized, oneness Pentecostal preacher, unashamedly so. But I don't sound like us, and I don't have the right voice, and I can't do fill-in-the-blank. And I live with this self-prescribed box for most of my adult life in ministry because the voice is supposed to be a certain way, And if God's going to have you do whatever the ministry is, I'm being very personal tonight, talking about my own ministry, and God may not be calling you to a pulpit ministry. Whatever it is he's asking you to do, it's so easy to get stuck and say, God, I can't, because I don't look like so-and-so, and and I don't sound like this, and I don't behave a certain way. And we know what ministry is supposed to be. And we've got this very clear picture in our head of how we're supposed to sound. That's not real. How should your voice be heard? Let's go back to that scripture. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. You know what that tells me? God likes variety. And he wants a variety of different sounds and ministries and delivery types. And especially to our younger people in this congregation to the other adults as well but to the young adults to the teenagers to our children if you don't hear anything else I say tonight I I hope that as God begins to deal with you and whatever it is he asks you to do in his kingdom and it's going to be wide and varied because there is no pattern at least not a pattern that we can see with our human eyes not something we recognize down here at this level whatever it is he is drawing you towards. He wants you to do it. And he wants you to do it sounding like you. He wouldn't ask me to do what he's asked me to do in ministry if he expected me to sound like Stephen. He'd ask Stephen to do it. That was deep, wasn't it? it took me almost 15 years of ministry to figure that out. Here's the reality. I can't do that, God. God. I don't sound like fill in the blank. How should your voice be heard? Your voice should be heard the way that God made you. As God draws you, as he welcomes you into ministry, as he wants you to do things, let your voice Come through. And understand even when I say voice tonight, I'm using voice as a representation of ministry. So I'm speaking in a servantship service to people that God is calling towards leadership. And he says, I want that one and that one and that one and that. Actually, I want all of you. And I want you to sound like you. And you have the benefit, by the way, in this environment, of having a team approach to ministry. And so I don't sound like Stephen, and I don't sound like Lil, and I certainly don't sound like my wife Rachel. You'll see that within the next two, three minutes. And that's okay. And we as a body all benefit from this because we hear a variety of voices, and we hear a variety of ministry styles. And as we hear this variety, different things come through. Don't tell me who your favorite is, but let's be fair. Each one of us hears things a different way, and there are certain ministers that we can hear things from, if we're being honest, that we can't hear from other people. And we benefit from the variety. And guess what, my brothers and sisters? The kingdom of God benefits from this variety. And so as he draws you towards whatever it is he's asking you to do, how should your voice be heard? Your voice should be heard the way that he made you.
1: Good thing he doesn't yell and isn't loud. We couldn't have that many of us in the house. Voice. No matter what type of personality or voice you have, all of us, as leaders and as people, we want our voice to be heard. What happens when people don't feel like their voice is heard? Conflict. Lots and lots of conflict. Nobody is listening to me! You ever said that? Thought that? We see people in the news. We see whole countries have a coup because nobody is listening to me. Everybody wants their voice to be heard. All of us that are leading, teaching, trying to impart something, or take somebody somewhere, we want our voice to be heard. Kids, When you're talking to your mom or your dad and they're on their phone, does that make you happy? When they don't look at you and they're scrolling and you're like they're scrolling. The other day, Dinah said to me, Mama, I need your attention. I was reading an article on my phone. She wanted me to put that phone down and look her in the eyeballs. Talk to her. Emotions such as fear, anger, frustration, condemnation, disappointment, jealousy, greed, and many others can cause us to make our voice heard in a way that is different than if we were calm and clearly thinking. So I have something here, kids. Y'all looking? You watching? Everybody watching? I have something here. It's called a free junior frosted coupon from Wendy's. Does anybody like ice cream from Wendy's? Okay. So <laughs> let's say, now don't tear it up, it's real. Okay. I only have so many. Alright, so Juliet, would you like a frosty from yes. Wendy's? Yes. yes. Well, you would like one too, huh? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do. Alright, so. What if I walked up to Amani and said, do you want a Frosty's coupon? <laughs> Do you want to give me a hug when I do that? You want one? Huh? No, she won't even hold her hand out. Now, I'm giving her a frosty coupon just like Juliet. But she doesn't, she's not so sure what's going to happen to her hand when she seeks it out. You want one? What if I said, fine, fine. Take it, take it, take 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 How do you think that makes somebody feel? You You can have one. All right, you really want one? You sure you want one? All right. right. How do you think that makes people feel when you give something? You know, I have to give you this. Jesus told me to. She's smiling, but in her mind, she really doesn't want me to talk to her that way. So what if I go up to Brother Owen and I'm like, Oh, Brother Owen! I have something for you! Please take, it, please, take it, please 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 take it! Now, that's now I'm a stranger! Take it, take it, take it, take it! How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'll take it. Now, he's still got a frosty coupon, but he may not feel like Juliet. What if, if I walked up to Candace and said? Well, that's terrible. Somebody in your family will take it. What if I walked up to Jay and said, just take it. I just don't even want it anymore. Just take it. How's he gonna feel about that? Or what if I walked up to Vincent? And I was like, hello, hello. Would you like my Frosty coupon? Great. Right. yes, but you're creepy. I'm walking my door. Don't come back. Okay? So I'm doing the same thing for everybody. Now raise your hand if you have not received a coupon because I will miss somebody. You haven't received one. Here you go. Here you go. Whoops. Here you go. So everybody gets a frosty coupon. Please pay attention to the date on the back. I know nobody gets doubles, but. Everybody gets one. Is there anybody here that didn't come up that's under, 14? under, under four- fourteen? Under <laughs> fourteen. We got a we got a few under 14s that didn't want to face the crowd. Make sure they get one. Um So we we all there's some over here. We all all the kids, well when you're when you get to round to fourteen, I'll give you one. All right, that's for your three siblings. And I'm out, so we did that good. Okay, so I gave the same thing. I gave the same thing to everybody, but everybody didn't feel the same about it, did they? It's because I used a different voice. I recently had a situation I had to deal with, and I had to go in and I had to talk to some people about a situation that I was very upset about. I was very frustrated. And I was ready to bring the hammer. I was done. I didn't care what I looked like. All I cared was that when I was done, what they looked like. And it was going to be on the floor, all their ugliness exposed. Thankfully, I have wonderful mentors in my life that gave me great advice. And I prayed. And the Lord gave me some verses. So, in Colossians, it says, Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy. All right, kiddos, look up here. Look up here, really quick. We're going to do something for you in just a minute. Just give me two minutes. You must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Before we are called to ministry, before we are called to have a voice, we are called to live in a way that speaks. So let's go back to that verse in Colossians 2. First, before we have a voice... We are to choose to be holy people, clothe ourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We are to make allowance for each other's faults. We are to forgive. We are supposed to clothe ourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. We're supposed to let the peace of God rule our hearts. And as members of one body, we're called to live in peace. And always be thankful. This is before we have a voice. After all of this, we are to let the message about Christ in all its richness fill our lives. Our life is supposed to speak for us first. We're supposed to make conscious change. We're instructed to allow our lives to become a reflection of Christ. Only then are we to open our mouths and have a voice verse 16 through 17 says teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and whatever you do or say do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father later in Colossians this instruction is given again concerning our voices let your conversation be gracious and attractive So that you will have the right response for everyone. We all have a different voice. But we should all be heard the same. As a representative of Jesus. So whatever our voice is, people should be hearing us that we are a representative of the Lord Jesus. Alright kids, it's your turn again. We're going to read a story. So... This is called Boggin, Blizzy, and Sleeter the Cheater. Anybody like a cheater? You like to play a game with somebody that cheats? I'll tell you what happens when that happens in my household. Everyone's voice changes. And it doesn't represent Jesus. We have to work on it. All right, here we go, kids. If you are ever out walking and go too far north, Where the winter winds whistle and snow gushes forth. And blizzards are howling and polar bears growling. And things are so cold, not a creature is prowling. And still if you wander a teeny bit longer, the snow growing deeper, the sun growing stronger, you'll come to a village that's made out of snow. All the huts in a row, with their windows aglow. The village of Fruselberg, you ought to know. A while ago, long ago, quite a while back, in a small hut at the end of the track, two fruzel kids lived with their father and mother. Boggin was one and Blizzy the other. Noons in the summer and nights in the fall, Boggin and Blizzy played Icy Bop Ball. An odd little game you might guess by the name, but whether it snowed or it glowed or it rained, their fruzel friends came and they played just the same. That's how it went for a jolly long time, till something occurred that was rather a crime. A fruizal named Sleater came over one day, bringing some buddies from Black Blizzard Bay. Does that sound like a good place to be? Sounds a little creepy. He came up to say that they wanted to play, but he thought that they ought to play different that day. And they sneered and they jeered and made quite a display. A contest is needed, said Sneeter aloud. Let's have us a match. We've got quite a crowd. It's us against you and we get to start. See, I know the rules because I'm so smart. Somebody has to tell you they're smart. And then with these words, Sleeter flew like a dart, throwing the other team's players apart. The icy bop ball blasted into their net, and that was, the, was not the nastiest treat, trick they had seen yet. Ten points, shouted Sleeter, We're in the lead, and then he tripped Boggin. What a dastardly deed. For quite a long while, the game went the same. Sleeter, the cheater was showing no shame. The other team's goals were no good, he would claim claim, as the tempers were growing as hot as a flame. He told them they fouled. No pushing, he growled. My shot, he howled, and then when he missed, it's a goal. Sleeter scowled. Boggin and Blizzy grew mad as a bee. How many would be mad? Would you be mad if somebody was pushing you and pinching you and bruising you and cheating? They called a team meeting under a tree. They're cheating, said Blizzy. That's clear to see. Since they're going to cheat, then why shouldn't we? From that moment on, the game turned to war. No one can tell who was cheating the more. They lied on their score. How tempers did soar. They fought, and what's more, Icy Ball wasn't fun as before. At the end of the, t- the game, both teams claimed they won, but no one said things like, oh my, wasn't that fun? Instead, they all shouted, we'll play you again. You'd better watch out, because we'll womp you then. So angry and jumpy, bruised up and bumpy, they all shuffled home feeling nasty and grumpy. Boggin and Blizzy both sat at the table. They didn't eat much, for they didn't feel able. They fumed and they grumbled the whole supper long, till Dad finally asked them, Kids, what is wrong? It's Sleeter, that cheater, cried Blizzy aloud. He's ruined our game. I hope he feels proud. It used to be fun to play icy bop ball, but with Sleeter the cheater, it's no fun at all. That's too bad, said Dad, that they all cheated so. You must feel quite proud that you didn't cheat, though. Oh my, sniffled Boggan, but we cheated too! I guess that we didn't know what else to do. We cheated and that means we're just like old Sleater. I can't face the world. I'm a miserable cheater. <laughs> I'll hide in my room, keep it as dark as a tomb. And Boggin dropped onto the table in gloom. Now, now, said his mother, don't be upset. Your chance to play fair is not over yet. The next time you play in a game against Sleater, ignore what he does, because he's only a cheater. If you get mad and you just don't want to play, rather than cheating, just walk straight away. Just play to have fun, and in the long run, you'll make lots of friends for the fairness you've done. The very next day on the Icy Bop Rink, guess who showed up? Who do you think? It was Sleater and all of his terrible team. Let's play, Sleater shouted. You're gonna get creamed. So Boggin and Blizzy called a team meeting and made up a plan to stop all this cheating. The whole team agreed that the plan would succeed, and they thought it was better than cheating, indeed. When the game started up, old Sleater went to it. He grabbed Boggin's hat and suddenly threw it. He tied up their net. He got their coats wet, pushing and shoving and cheating. And yet... Boggin and Blizzy just didn't get mad. The nicer they played, the more Sleater did bad. Soon when the score had reached 90 to zero, Sleater was feeling quite a great hero. But some of his teammates were feeling quite badly. "Uh, Why don't we play fair now? Said one fellow sadly. Let's play by the rules, another one said. What does it matter? We're so far ahead. Whose team are you on? Sleater screamed in a fit. My team or the sissies? Then why don't you quit? With those awful, awful words, the ball game stopped dead, and Sleater the cheater's face turned all red, for all of his teammates were staring at him, staring and glaring and looking quite grim. We're sick of this cheating, his teammates all growled. We've tripped him, we've pushed him, we've constantly fouled. The other team wants to play fair, and that's good. With just one less player, we think that we could. Then they picked Sleater up into the air and carried him off to a snowbank somewhere. They gave him a throw out into the snow and shouted, We don't need your cheating, you know, so get lost. Take a hike. You might as well go. The rest of the day they played Icy Ball Bop bop Ball, which they played just for fun without cheating at all. Boggin and Blizzy received many thanks for playing so fairly despite all the pranks. And the best thing of all the kids found as they played, when nobody cheated, new friendships were made. So noons in the summer and nights in the fall, the Fruzel kids came to play icy bop ball and Sleeter the cheater would watch from the hill. As far as I know, he's sitting there still. Uh The end. (laughs) So what did we learn? When things are going smoothly, it's easier to represent Jesus with our voice. But when things get difficult and our own pride gets involved and our sin gets involved, our voice can be heard quite differently. We use our voice differently. Our voice, even as adults, not just kids on a, playing a game, our voice can become a reflection of our situation instead of Jesus. God gives us our voice to use in the way he created us. But then he gave us very good instructions on how he wants us to use our voice. Boggin and Blizzy had to make a decision to stop reflecting their situation with their actions and voice. They decided how they would act and how their voices would be heard. Just like them, we must make a conscious decision every day to use our life with our actions, and the voice God has given us to represent Him. We have clear instructions in the Scripture of how to do that. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Everything that we do and say should be a reflection of our Savior. Our voice should be heard the same, in that when people hear us, they hear Jesus. We all have different voices, they all sound different, but when people hear them and they hear us reflecting Jesus, it not only changes our situation, it begins to change their hearts and it changes their situation. And it's hard to be ugly to someone that constantly reflects Jesus in return. And it's hard to reflect Jesus when someone is constantly being ugly or there's a hard situation. In our marriage, my husband does that much better than I do. I am happy to pick up the ball and be like, oh, bring it. I'm like, you got it? I will Oh, I will pay you back a hundredfold, buddy. Here we go. I have to fight really hard to reflect Jesus. Much prayer, much counsel. I have to call my mentors and say, I'm fixing to bring the hammer. I need you to help me, because I can't think of anything nice to say. Thankfully, God's put people in my life that help me think of nice things to say that actually reflect Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't address the situation, but you can do it and reflect Jesus. So if you'll all stand together. We're going to end tonight with remembering that we all have a different voice but we should be making the same sound and that is the sound of our savior i know the kids are in the floor it's okay anytime you read a story kids get in the floor but let's all just take a minute and thank the lord and ask him to help us have his voice lord jesus thank you that you gave us each a different voice we ask that you would help us respond to you and to respond to others and reflect you and your voice And we love you and thank you as we go to work, as we go back to school, as we go into our week. Lord, let us reflect you in all that we say and we do. And let our voice be used of you the way that you gave it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.